I don't know about you, but I'm excited about next week. But I'm not excited because we've got agents. I'm excited because God has been building for months and months to a set time. And he won't only speak next week. He's going to continue to build precept upon precept. We said at the start of the year, stop saying we're going somewhere and God is going to do something. God is turning up. You do Coronation Street if you want. I know where I'm going to be. Yes? I want to take a few moments and pick up from where we left last week. We started last week and we talked about the fear of the Lord. Everybody here? Do you remember? We looked at the fear of the Lord. Now I'm going to do a quick recap to put us back on the page because I'm going to go week two on this. If you remember, we came from the place of what are you going to add to your faith to stop you from being unfruitful and unproductive? And we asked ourselves the question, when was the last time you even considered the fear of the Lord? And the look on your faces last week is very similar to the look on your faces this week. And we broke some things down and we said that fear, the dictionary definition says, an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain, and harm. And we said that that is never the expression of who God is. Correct? If perfect love drives out all fear and his nature is to bring love to where we are, then we're not held with the fear that God is going to beat us every two minutes with a stick. Is that right? If that is your God, you've got the wrong one. But there is a holy, righteous fear that we should have as a people. And the fear of the Lord is broken down to very, very simply, I think Pastor talked about it this morning, is reverence, honor, and knowing that he is who he says he is. Is that simple enough? We turn around and we blamed him. We give old good old charismania a kick last week and we blamed it for something. We said that what we've done, we've been carried along in such a presence that everybody has become God's buddy. And in God's buddy, it doesn't matter how our processes are. We come in his presence. We leave his presence how we want. We're all high-fiving Jesus on the way out. There's no awe or reverence. We just take things for granted. And I said, I'll start with me. I'm not even using you. I'll start with me, and I'll say that in his presence, in worship, how often we can get lost and just get familiar, even when God's speaking and doing what he's doing in the house this morning, where were you? You may have been in the room, but where were you? Were you with us? Were you building with us? Did you go into his presence? Did he touch you? Did you wonder and looking at your watch? How long will it be before they shut up? It all is a reflection of what is going on on the inside of you. We finish by saying that we've fallen into one thing that really hinders us as a body moving forward and individuals, and that was when we become too familiar. We said that as we grew up, I couldn't use the name of my neighbor, Mary. She was always Mrs. Smith or Mrs. Jones. But now everybody's just, all right there, Chris, all right there, mate. Everybody's mates and buddies. And we approach God sometimes in that kind of manner. We just become so familiar. You know, we've become the generation that know the price of everything and the value of nothing. And we made a statement. It's time to get your feet off God's coffee table. Because when you come into the house, there is protocol. If I put my feet on the coffee table 
and my mum or dad walks in, you know I'm going to get a slap. If I was around my peers, my brother or my sister, we'd all have our feet on the coffee table. But it was amazing when you heard the key in the lock at how quick your behavior changed when somebody else was coming in. Like I said, you might not have lived in my house, but that was what it was like in mine. Oh, it wasn't all woe is me and we wasn't beaten. And it wasn't like we're going back to Charles Dickens days. It wasn't, but I knew that something had been bought and paid for. I still come from the generation like many of you. You had two rooms. The room for show that no one ever went in. And you had the room full of junk that everybody lived in. So if anybody important, and I can tell you, no one important ever came to our house, you always had a parlour, and the parlour was pristine. But in the other room, you had papers all over the place and the kids' toys and all the stuff. That was where you did life, but this is what you wanted to try and project to the world when you opened the door of your two up, two down, you stepped straight off the street, straight into somebody's glory. And God forbid where my mother was concerned, that you are going to mess up her parlour. Get your feet off his coffee table. We said that there were signs of familiarity that we can build into our lives. When I'm reliant on the mechanics of what worked before to get the same result, I've become familiar. The sensitivity, if it has been lost in worship, when it's all going on, And all I'm thinking is, how quick can I get through this process? I've become familiar. I'm familiar with him. I'm familiar with with his presence. I'm familiar with what he's doing. At times, we want the manifestation, and we called it spiritual one-night stands. I want what you've got, but I don't want you. And we use the term, there are men and women that you might want, but you would never take them home to meet your mother. Okay, those of us maybe had a different life. There are people that you met that you never wanted to take home. And in this presence, in this intimacy, even as God is speaking to us this morning, where were you? What was happening on the inside of us? Pastor Tony came from that Psalm 27 this morning, which was an awesome psalm. I was looking and ready to go with Psalm 42. And Psalm 42 starts with, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And the question is, when can I go to his presence? And the answer is, now. Every opportunity, there's something where I can find him, where he wants to meet with us, where he wants to lay hold of us. We talked about that as we grow in familiarity, we have little or no concern for his house, his work, and his leaders. It's amazing how it goes quiet. We close the door to the leading of the Holy Ghost in our lives. And we stop responding to him. When we stop responding, we're in a very dangerous place. When you think we have technology, those of us who live in the 21st century and not all Christian, those of us who have Sky TV, it has a wonderful thing if you've got Sky HD. And do you know what that wonderful thing is? Catch up TV. Half a year, good Christian people haven't a clue what I'm talking about. Catch-up TV is this. If you've missed anything at any time, I can go into the menu and find it. And we kind of come into church, God arrives, and we think, I'll catch you next week. When you miss your moment, you've missed your moment. We've just become familiar. 
And the final thing was, we said that the benefits of the fear of the Lord, it was the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and skill. The fear of the Lord is my fountain of life. The fear of the Lord, he confines in those who fear him and opens his covenant. And the fear of the Lord causes those to lack nothing. Now, if you want to be familiar, fine, stay over that side. But don't be complaining when God is hitting and impacting lives and you seem to be somewhere else. So let's start to build. Week two, fear of the Lord. We've already covered the whole context about being not familiar. So is that all right? That ground has been covered. So I was speaking to Pastor Tony last week. We was out and I said, what would you have done? How, because do you know what? We don't stand here and think that we've got all the answers. Just because I stand here or Pastor Tony or whoever, Paul will then shape and will build. And I said, would you have done anything different? Would you have said anything different? And Pastor Tony said to us, yeah, maybe I would have used some different examples in different ways. So that's what we're doing. I listened to the father of the house, and that's where I'm coming from this morning. Is that okay? So we want to use some examples of misguided and ignorant fear. Misguided and ignorant fear. And it's amazing. Some of the things that I've written down and prepared already... Pastor Tony has already started to touch on this morning because we know the Holy Ghost and the Spirit is the same Spirit. Amen? In Exodus 20, verse 18 and 21, we see an awesome story. The story goes like this. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and they heard the trumpet and they saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, "'Speak to us yourself and we will listen.'" But do not have God to speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Do you realize something that this one encounter where God turns up, he wanted to change history. The history that was being changed is that I no longer want to speak to a man. I want to speak to a group of people. I want to speak to a corporate body. Thank you for your underwhelming response. God turns up on the scene. Just remember, let's just put ourselves in the scenario for a moment. A people have come out of Egypt. They've been under pressure. They've been beaten. They've been knocked down. They've been slaves in Egypt. They've seen all of the miracles of the Ten Commandments, of the, sorry, of the Ten Plagues. They come out. We have the Red Sea open. They go through. They see Egypt wasted. They then see a people. They're fed in the wilderness. They have the quail. They have the manna. They have the pillar of fire. They have the cloud of smoke. God has kind of introduced himself quite good, methinks. And all you find is that when you read through scripture, all that they've ever seen and heard of is the patriarchs that have gone before him. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They're the stories of what they heard before, how men had an encounter with this God. How that Abraham was able to say, I am the friend of God. Moses breaks through to a people who have not experienced a God in this way. They have grown up in an environment where every day there was idols, there is Egyptian worship, they're caught in that mishmash, mongrel background, and God suddenly appears on the scene. And when he appears on the scene, he says, the way I'm with Abraham, I want to be with you. 
And what was the people's response? You can keep it. We've sang, and Pastor again led us into that verse this morning. I long to look on the face of the one that I love. Show me your glory. In your presence is where I belong. Now, I'm going to make a statement that you might spit your teeth out, but don't worry. This is my statement. I am not saying this is Bible, but it is. I'm not saying this is everybody's opinion, but it's my opinion. So I will give you my opinion. I've got your attention for a moment. I believe this. It was never God's intention to take you to heaven. From when he created man in the garden, he left heaven to come to where you are. And there is no biblical biblical encounter of ever God transforming him, transmitting him, changing him, doing a Star Trek two-to-beam-up moment, and taking him to heaven. God God is fully at home in heaven as he is here. He doesn't need to take us to where he is. He came to where we are. If we had not messed up, if Adam had not sinned, he didn't need a holiday vacation home. It wasn't, why didn't you spend six months on earth and six months in heaven? It wasn't, let's have a change of scenery. God is fully at home in both environments. And God breaks out on the scene that says, the God that walked with Adam, I want to walk again with the people. And the people said, but we don't want you. And something was birthed 4,000 years ago, the monster of which we still fight today. We fight in a religious context that says, if God's going to speak, it's going to be from the man who has his name above the door. I hold no personal responsibility of walking with God, of starting to nurture a relationship with him, of learning to hear, of learning to follow, of learning to adapt to what he's saying, because somebody will always tell me what to do and where to go. Oh, I'll tell you where to go. But it might not necessarily be the way you want to go. God breaks onto the scene, but because the people have a misguided, immature acceptance of what that fear of God did, instead of embracing, they pushed away. The fear of the Lord was to say what? Look, you've been a ragtag, bobtailed bunch who have done what you've wanted for the 400 plus years that you've been in Egypt. It's time to sort yourselves out because you will be my people that will represent me on the earth. Pastor already said that when they sat and they camped, every family saw that when the cloud came down and it fell on the tabernacle, you knew God was in town. But people missed their opportunity. But do you know what I love? I love the story. What does it say of Joshua? Joshua wasn't just a warrior. Joshua, even though uninvited, would never leave the presence even when Moses did. He would sit and he would wait in the presence. When God's turning up, when God's doing things in our midst that we're maybe not sure of, we're uncomfortable with, I'm kind of slightly afraid, we want to step back and push him away. Our ignorance will cause us to miss what he's saying and doing in the midst. That's the time to embrace him. Another story for you. 
Exodus 32, verse 1, down to verse 5. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed to him and made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf. Fashioning it with a tool, they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Moses is still having his encounter on the mountain. Aaron is with the people, and the people start to grumble. Do you know the most dangerous thing that we have in the world? Is that when you have an environment where a man or woman can bring in the presence of God, and they're suddenly not there. Because now when there is a void, what are we going to do to fill the God bit? So we will do everything we can do to fill that void and try and call it God. The people turned around and said this. These are the gods, lowercase g, who led us out of Egypt. Now, they've already lost that God brought them through. They've already lost everything that we've just covered. The crossing the Red Sea, the water from the rock, the being kept, the food, the provision, the clothes that didn't wear out, the shoes that didn't wear out. All of that they've lost, and they've turned around and said, you have made us something we can look at, and said, this is what brought us out of Egypt. But do you know what Aaron said? And it's amazing, because you have to look at what is written in Scripture. Aaron said this. Let me read it so you get it perfect. Tomorrow, there will be a festival to the capital L. They said, God's, lowercase g. He said, This is God. Tomorrow, we will worship this. Now, poor old Aaron gets a right slate in. We knock him about because he was a man who, not by his own circumstances, was thrust into the limelight because Moses wouldn't speak. So Aaron became the man who spoke because Moses wouldn't. But he never carried the presence. So he didn't know how to bring the same God into the midst. We've said about how vacuums can be created in a house. Poor old Aaron this way. But do you know what we do today? Smoke machines. Lights. Let's have busyness. Let's have lots of things to try and tell people that God's here even when he's not. And the rubbish thing is, in lots of occasions, you and I don't know the difference. We get caught up in an event. We get caught up in an experience. But we're not being caught up in the area of the spirit. And it's that which will define whether God's in the presence. Misguided. His whole thing of, I need to keep people happy. Do you know the worst thing is? If you can, I could name names, but I won't because it's unfair. If you look and you find the model of the user-friendly church, many of those user-friendly churches who have grown churches of thousands and thousands of people, the men who actually have led them and still lead them today, have actually publicly repented And turned around and said, I think it's using the quote that almost Pastor Tony's used in the past. That is that they have a Jesus without a Christ. There is a salvation without any cost. 
And so they say, right, if I said to, I put a note in the advertiser this week and said, for everybody who turns up at the Dream Center on Sunday morning, there will be a £20 Argos gift voucher given to you at the door. You know you might not get a seat next week. Do you know that? Because if you give the people what they want, they'll keep coming. And a part of the model that has happened in a user-friendly church, and you can read it, this is not Phil throwing a stone in a glass house, where men have said, right, what we did is we put on a special production. We gave you coffee and cake. We turned around and gave you a donut every week when you came in. We made everything easy. We never challenged you where you're at. You can come and you can go. And people went, I like this kind of church. Do you know there are people and there are men who have created, you ready for this? The drive-through church. Oh, you didn't know about that. Maybe you should check the internet a bit more. You can go to the drive-through church where you can turn up, sit in your car, put a speaker in the window, be sat there in your jammers, eating your breakfast, doing whatever, you have the service, you bless yourself, and you leave. Is that what we've created? Have we created and said, this is what has saved my life. This is what has brought me through. This is the God who saves me. When there is a void, we must fill it with the Holy Ghost. We are Christ-centered. Christ must be revealed. Even if we read the Gospels, you turn around and say, if you clear out a house, the strong man, you're stronger than him, you bind him, you clear him out. If you do not fill the house, it comes back worse than before. When you create a God void and don't bring God in, we're all in trouble. And Moses is there up on the mountain. He's seeking the face. He's getting the Ten Commandments. And Aaron is there leading a calf, building this golden calf. And the story continues that as he's coming down, Joshua says, look, there's celebration in the camp. And what was Moses' response? Josh, you've been around a while and you've been sat in the presence, but you still don't hear clearly yet. That is not celebration. There's rebellion in the camp. Why? Because when you don't bring in God, you have to bring in something else. But do you know why people bring in something else? Because we want something else. We're the people who keep asking for the something else. In the earlier days of the Dream Center, back when Adam was a lad, we asked ourselves questions because we were shaping a new future. What do we do right? What do we do wrong? What do we need to change? And, you know, we made that fatal mistake. We asked some of you. And if we ask some of you, do you know what we get? It's called a dog's dinner. Because the dog's dinner is somebody says, I want to sing longer and have you preach less. Somebody says, I want you to sing less and preach longer. I want somebody says, I want less of both. I want somebody to say, can we do it once a month? There was everything that was going around. But when you cater to the needs of people, you make no room for him. We make no apologies for making room for him. And if that means we are stuck and we're caught in that presence and we've gone all day and we've not preached like many occasions we have, when God has been like that, we make no apologies. Why should we labor so much to bring in his presence that when he turns up, we don't want him? 
We're working towards something. You know, we're not a group of people that should ever turn the church into a rebadge nightclub. You know that? We create environments. Being in the land of media, there are things that you can find. I'm not a musician, as you know. But I'm told that if you play music in a certain way, it will respond, your soul will respond in a certain way towards it. It can make you feel melancholic. It can make you feel excited. It's just the way that you can play certain notes in a certain arrangement, and it will deal with you in the area of your soul. Do you know, if we set you up, and we put a certain color on the wall, and we use lights in a certain way, you can actually manipulate people to get a response from them just by the environment that you set up. You didn't know we were that clever, did you? All of these things are set up to make you feel like you had something when you actually had nothing. Do you know when you get that Big Mac, which is really a Little Mac, and you eat it and you think, this is the best thing I've had in the world because you've got that all them additives in and all the stuff and all the things I can't eat. You get that stuff and it's got a sauce on it that makes you feel like you want more. Yes, you've got that. But do you know when you walk away 20 minutes later, you now think, now what can I have for me tea? What you thought instantly filled you actually left you still feeling empty. If we're going into the presence and changing things and we're always left with thinking, is that it? Something missed. Yes? Let's give you another story. 1 Samuel, chapter 13. 1 Samuel 13. Pastor Tony touched on that this morning. The Philistines gathered to fight Israel, the 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Mishmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that the situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets amongst the rocks and pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained in Gilgal, and all the troops with him were, were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the set time for Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he'd finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that these men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt sacrifice. When you read the full content of the scripture, it says this, because the people were leaving me, I overstepped the mark. No longer is the word of the Lord and the fear of the Lord and the pattern set enough. We all know the statement. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. The man said he'd be here. He's not here. The enemy's pressing. The people are starting to break down. We're seeing situations change. I will step out of my authority and do something and touch something I should never do. 
instantly, when Samuel sees him, the declaration is this. What have you done? When Samuel turned up on the scene, and you read the scripture of how God held a man Samuel, before David, you actually see Samuel as being, even though it doesn't say it in name, the first prophet, priest, and king. He is the prophet to the nation. He is the priest to the nation. And he was the head of the nation. He didn't have a king until they had Saul. So he's not prophet, priest, and king. But he was the man who ruled everything. Everything went through that format. He knew how to encounter God, when to speak, what to declare. He put all of those things out. But yet the consequences for Saul and the life that he lived, and Pastor touched on it this morning, I don't have to go into detail, he turns around and says, today the kingdom has been ripped from you. What should have been legacy passed through your kids, unlike David moving forward, has ended this day because of the act that you took. Misguided, ignorant, and immature responses to the fear of God. Do not do this. Well, I didn't think you were coming. I didn't think you was going to arrive on time. I thought we were all going to be held short. Have you ever read those little stickers that you see on some of the back of your electrical appliances that says, the guarantee is null and void if tampered with? You think, it's not working too well. I'll get my screwdriver set out. I'll have a bit of play. No, is it a man thing? We think, we'll have a bit of a go. And you take it to the shop, and the screws are all rounded off, and it's not quite lined up at the back. You go, it's not working. Well, I find you find that the guarantee is null and void because you've tampered with it. Well, I only was trying to save you some time to see if there was a loose connection on the inside. Your guarantee and the consequences of you messing is that you're now out of pocket. It wasn't the end of Saul's kingdom at that moment. He still had something like 20 years or 25 years of living as king, but the presence, the goodness of God had already left him. The fear of God is that when he says to us, don't do something, and we carry on doing it, we run the gauntlet. Do you know that? But I don't know about you, I'm one of those people who love to hide behind our coverall of grace. His grace is sufficient for me. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Amen. amen. Oh, we've got one amen out of you this morning. That's all right. That is the stand that I want to take because God is gracious towards me. Yes. But there are consequences in my life that says, if you keep doing that, I will close the door. But God, you love me, and you said that you're always for me and not against me. Yeah, but I told you, if you did that, there's a consequence. We don't normally like the consequence, and the reason we don't like consequence is because we've become so familiar that we kind of think there will be no consequence. Because God is a God of... Oh, I think we can do better than that. God's a God of... And if you love me, it'll just be the way it is. Get away with anything. Now, I'm learning to be God at this moment. 
Look at me face there, and more teeth being spat out. We have that little divine thing called a rubster. Yeah, Ruby. Ruby's pushing all of those boundaries. I'm starting to learn to do Don't do that, Ruby. I'll just carry on. And what she kind of found out that worked with lots of people is if I just smile in a certain way and I tip my head like a puppy dog and I open my big eyes and go, but granddad, oh, they think they're going to get the giving. Yeah? We have to learn that by giving in, we actually make her worse and do her no favors. Because you know what she's learned? Manipulation. She's learned manipulation from an early age. We had a moment. We went to Asda. I want some sweeties. You've got sweets at home. But I want these sweeties. You've got some of them at home. But I want these sweeties. You're not having them sweeties. We'll walk this way. Then the Tasmanian devil arrived. (laughs) I now stood there in the middle of Asda having a scream, sitting on the floor, having a cry, going like this. Come on, Angela, we're leaving. I was ready to get in the car, never mind anything else. Angela, just keep walking, just keep walking. But this part of you, when she's going, I'll just go and pick her up. Let's just try and explain. No, you stick by it, and you walk, and you walk around the corner of the food aisle, and you deal with them, is she still there? One of those bits. God will not be moved by your tantrum or your tears. You're going to get hoarse. You're going to get tired. And you're the one going to be frustrated. But he's the one who's moved on to the next aisle and says, I'm moving on. If you're following, that's fine. But if you're going to stay there, it's all right. Because if you're making a scene, you're making a scene for you. You're not making a scene for everybody. And this is why I use that term of learning the God bit. That your humanity wants to go, just give in. But if you give in, aha, I know if I want what I want, make enough noise, cry, or go like that, and I'll get what I want. God will never be moved by your tears. Now, the great thing about God is, counterbalance that, Sam says that he keeps my tears in a bottle. But they're tears of intercession. They're tears of my heart crying after what he wants. That is what he holds and he treasures. My tears of just give me, give me, give me, because it's what I want, you ain't getting. Immaturity must be brought to an end. Yes? What about winning brownie points? Because we like winning brownie points, don't we? Right, you liars, that's one. You know liars don't go to heaven, don't you? We all like winning brownie points. I'll say again, we all like winning brownie points the same way that we all like to be liked. You might say, oh, I'm all right, I don't like to be liked. You hate it if you think that somebody doesn't like you. You all like to be liked and you all want brownie points, especially when them brownie points are where God's concerned. But in Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, we have an awesome story. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, brought the rest of it, and put it at the apostles' feet. 
Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that you have, as Satan has filled your heart so that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before you sold it? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down dead. Oh, who wants New Testament church? Put your hand up. A great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then some young man came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church. I think you might be right. Understatement. And all who heard it are about these events. The desire to seem to be bigger in the eyes of other people will break the fear of God. You might feel that it needs to be seen that you've done more, that you've given more that your offering's bigger than somebody else. That you know that, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You know, you've blessed somebody, you've done something, and you kind of think, it's quite good that it's done this, but I think a few people need to know about it. <laughs> oh, we're all going quiet on that one still. Yeah. We feel challenged by the Lord. Now remember what we said here, they didn't have to sell anything. They owned it. Because some other people did it, didn't mean they had to do it. But what they said was they saw the likes of Barnabas who sold everything that they had and went, look at the kudos he's got. Is he not top bod? Because everybody's gone, look at Barnabas. Look at that land he had. That was his granddad's and his great-granddad's granddad's. And he sold that and he's put the land in the pot. And everybody went, ah, Barnabas. Ah. Everybody like Barnabas. Like Bar he's on Facebook. Everybody has got 14 friends requests on physical Facebook saying, I want to be Barnabas's mate. Everybody wants to be linked to Barnabas because of the sacrifice that Barnabas made. Something rises up. That popularity is not too bad. So what I'll do is, I'll sell this, I'll keep part of it, and I'll say, say I got 10 grand, I've kept five, I'll put in five, say how much did you put in? I'll put in 10, me this morning. Everything we had, oh, it was the families, that was heritage. It was everything we ever had. It all went in the pot. Are you sure? Oh, they're doing something for kudos. But they wasn't lying to the people in the church. The scripture is, how can you lie against the Holy Ghost? And do you know what my response is? Quite easily. Gone quiet again. Quite easily. Because we all like to play a game of what we've done, how people think we are, what we've done, how we're walking, how we're living. We have that parlor mentality on the front of our lives. Really, we're living in the back, which has not been hoovered for a week. We've not cleaned up these pots in the sink. That's our life that we've got. But we want people to think that our life is like the parlor. It's all spotless. It's all ready for his presence. It's all, all honky-dory, ready for everything to come in. 
and we want to kind of propagate that's how we are. And the Holy Ghost says, you know, you're not fooling anybody and you're certainly not fooling me. But it also should be a key that says, watch your testimony. Scripture is quite clear. Do not add and do not take away. Now, Pastor Tony and I have a bit of a laugh about something. And that is, if, say, for instance, there was Pastor Tony with his, one of his pet issues that he'll deal with, crisps. He might be sat there with a bag of crisps because he likes his crisps. Pastor Tony will tell you, if there's anything you want to win his heart, bag of crisps and a bottle of red wine, you're in. Okay, right? So you've bought him, so he's got a bag of crisps. So, again, please hear the context of which I'm talking about. I might go, hey, chubs, what are you doing with your, with your crisp again? None of your bag of crisp. So then our Dan might come along or something, and you go, do you know what? I've just seen him with a family bag of crisp here. Family bag, six-pack he's been going up while we've been sat in the car. That's called an exaggeration. Now, that exaggeration is used for a humorous effect, because Dan laughed, and glad to see it had the same effect with you guys. We use it to embellish. But when we're using his name and how we're walking, what he's doing, it's easy to embellish. He's no longer in it. Ananias and Sapphira, they must have had a pact. They've gone, whatever you do. Listen, anybody asks us, 10 grand went in that pot. Between you and me, it's 10 grand. How much? Ange, how much went in that pot? Was it nine grand? No, Phil, it was 10 grand. 10 grand. Anne comes in, because she's been at Asda. She comes down. Can I just say, did you uh, sell that piece of land? Yes, I did. So um, how much went in? Oh, all went. It all went in with skin, nothing. Nothing, in, nothing for the kids to go to university. We've got nothing saved up. That's it. We're brassic. We're on our backs now. All gone. We've just got to trust God. Because now we've conspired together to still hold. It was never impressing God. This impression was to impress the other people around them. When we miss what God is saying and doing, because I think you're more important to impress than he is, something's awry. Is that right? And we could look into it. We could look at Isaiah. We could look at Paul on the road to Damascus. Both men had a God encounter. Isaiah's declaration is, woe to me. For I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. If you look at it, there's been five chapters before that when he didn't realize he'd missed God. It was only when God turned up, he went, oh, this is what you look like. He had called himself a prophet and wanted to move in the land, but yet he'd not encountered that moment. We see Paul, full of his zeal, struck down on his horse on the road to Damascus, He's knocked on his back. The voice of God speaks to him. Do you know when you read scripture, these men never ever retraced their steps and went back once they'd had a God encounter. I made a statement years and years ago. I think it was when I first started preaching. I still remember it now. If you meet Jesus face to face, there has to be a change. If in our lives we've become so familiar, there is no fear, there's no awesomeness of his presence, it's more, I'm clock watching, I don't want to be here, I fell out with myself this week. All of those processes that go through, I miss the connection point. If what we've got is meant to be life and life more abundantly, God help us. 
If we are an example of what life more abundantly is, I'm not sure I'm signing up. You know what I sign this thing? It's not like pure gym, where every month I can opt out. I signed a lifetime membership deal when I took Jesus Christ. I went, I'm in for life and godliness. And he said, I'm in for your life and godliness. Yes? But if I'm meant to be the fruit on the tree of what he's supposed to look like, it's amazing. It's the only time I've had a response this morning when you've looked at me to say this is what you shouldn't be looking like. (laughs) The greatest enemy that we ever have is our familiarity and not the devil. We want to keep blaming him for everything, but the issue is normally found in here. The way I set myself up, oh, the devil's against me. Oh, it's been hard this week. So what? Get over it. And in this life, you will have trouble. But I don't want the trouble. Well, don't live then. With life, you will have trouble. Will, in life, you will have peaks and troughs of stress, of hardships, of feeling like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's called growing up. He's not here, so I can tell you. A couple of weeks ago, we had Dan. He came in, head in his hands. Oh, I've got this, and I've got that, and I've got to balance that, and I've got to do this. We let him go on, and he kind of just burdened himself. Just about what it's like running a house, paying your bills, doing all the stuff. And he got to the end of it, and we just said, welcome to being a grown-up. But I preferred it when I ate your food, used your electric and your gas, that every week when I got my wages, it was to do whatever I wanted, not going, why when I get to the end of the month, is there more month than there is wages? That's a different conversation. It's called growing up. But God, I don't like growing up. Tough. You signed up for, ladies, the bums and tums class. We're in. It's going to be hard. The walking in the morning might be a bit of a struggle when we've encountered him. But yet, if we encounter him and he touches us in that place, we'll never be the same again. You know, I wrote a comment and the comment was this. If I become familiar with the presence and it ceases to stir me, I have no power to respond to the proclamation that heaven is making. If I am not stirred by the Holy Ghost in my life, it doesn't move me to respond. I have no power to respond to the proclamation. So when we say new dawn, when we say Christ being revealed, when we say about lives being changed, when pastor's been declaring what he says this morning, if you close your heart to the Holy Ghost and his presence, you have no power to be able to step into that environment. It's just lost words in white noise that's just flying around church. Acts 9.31 Fear of the Lord is the sign of a healthy environment. Acts 9.31, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. 
when we draw his presence, when there is a fear of God, when we're holding what he's got in his midst, when we treat him as he deserves to be treated, when we make a platform for him, when we make room for him, when we're not being familiar with him, Holy Ghost brings peace and we build in a time of peace. And the numbers increased. But it increases at a cost and at a rate. That means that we come in and we bring people in, not at the lowest level and not at the highest level because you're trying to set a standard that people can't meet. You bring people in and say, right, this is a place of a transformed life. You start here and every day we're transforming, we're growing, we're transforming, or we're growing. Every week you have the opportunity to meet and encounter the living God. Not only corporately, but individually as we teach you how to find his presence, how to touch his heart, and how to be changed. Welcome to church with a difference. And in conclusion, we'll use a scripture that we used last week. All has been heard. The end of the matter is, fear God. Revere and worship him, knowing that he is. And keeping his commands... For this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness, the adjustment in all our harmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun. The whole duty of every man is to fear the Lord. When all is finished and all is said and done, we are to be a people who fear our God. For the people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Moses knew his ways. The people knew his deeds. If I know God, why he does it, how his heart is towards me, what turns it on, what turns it off, what opens doors, what closes doors, when I'm not familiar with him and I'm learning to grow in his presence, it's amazing how quick you will grow. It is amazing how quick you will grow. But when I become familiar, church is just church. And we do this week what we did last week. We're going to sing three songs, then we're going to stand up, then somebody's going to say something, then about now they're going to take the offering. And then from there, somebody's going to make a declaration. At the end of the declaration, we're going to preach. And then at the end of the preaching, some... if you have that set up in your mind, you've already closed the door to God. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and the skill. The skill to be. Wisdom is the art of skillful living. God's desire is to meet with us. His desire is to speak to us, to reveal his heart, and cause us to be the people that will reflect his name. So that we are the ambassadors that he causes us to be, not that we will have wishful thinking. But if we don't lay aside our own ignorance and immaturity to the fear of the Lord, to familiarity, to think I can put my feet on his coffee table, treat anybody as I want, that it's a mate and bud and we're high-fiving Jesus, we've lost something. But I believe this morning that as those waves start just to come in, and Pastor Tony was talking about that presence that will hold us, that presence that will draw him, that he was taking us up onto that high hill so that as a clan we can start to see, and he's making a declaration, if I live without the fear, and if I live with familiarity, he's not talking to you. Because you won't make the journey. 
That journey and the invitation is open to every single one of us. But if I need to speak to my heart and say, my God, I've become familiar with you. I need to deal with something. Remember the fear is reverence and awe, respect and honor. It's not that he's going to beat me down and hit me with a stick. Let's just stand to our feet. We're already talking, and Pastor Tony has done a better job than I'll ever do, of saying about we've got agents of change this week, how we've got to prepare our hearts, how we're coming in. It's up to you how long it's going to take you to get off the runway. You know, if you're a small little plane, a little plane can seem to be from here to the car park, and it's up. But you get on a big bird... And that runway has got to be pretty long, hasn't it? It's got to be pretty long. How long is it going to take you that you're going to be taxiing before God can take you up? In an instant, he can touch us that when my heart meets with him, he takes me directly to where he is. Amen. So as I prepare my heart this week, you've already had 21 days of activating your spirit. We don't need to activate your spirit for this week. We've activated our spirit. We've prayed and we've declared the mind of God. My eyes are open. My ears are open. I want to be where you're at. Our spirits have been activated. We're all ready to go. When we turn up in this environment this week, we become ignitable materials that God only needs a spark. You've, again, watch your, your bare grills. He has that little piece of metal that he has with a piece of flint. One spark and the whole lot can go. Are we going to be like that with you all week? It'll catch in a minute. It'll catch in a minute. When I'm ignitable materials, all it's going to take is one spark. The girls from Australia will tell you about the bushfires. It only takes one discarded match or anything, and miles and miles can be wiped out. Look at the years gone by when Sydney has been under such trouble and hardships because they're in that bay, and the fires come in, burning up so many houses. If we can be the people that say, my God, I want to fear your name. I want to know you. I want to grow with you. I refuse to be familiar with you. I want your heart. I want to be a person, Lord God, that Christ will be revealed, that I want to be transformed, that the city can be transformed, Lord God. In all of that, that quick spark, how high we will go. The declaration that God already has has already been released from heaven. He is not waiting for you to get in line. He's already going to say it. The issue is, will you hear it? Familiarity will kill you all day long. So let's just raise our holy hands just for a moment. Let's just seal something. We're not sealing what the word has just said. We're sealing what God has been saying, not just this morning, but has been saying for weeks. That, Lord God, Father, we pray we need your presence. That, Lord God, we want to be found where you're at. Lord God, Father, I pray you've already given us the picture of you walking amongst us, Lord God. Father, that your breath of God has been on our faces. That, Lord God, I pray this morning. Lord God, forgive us, Lord God, when we become familiar. Forgive us, Lord God, when we've allowed religion in our hearts to get in the way. But, Lord God, I pray right now, Lord, as your sons of the King, Lord God, Father, sons of a kingdom king, that, Lord God, Father, we desire to meet with you again. That, Lord God, even as you prepare us again, Lord God, Father, we pray that this is just one more step as you're carrying us forward, Lord. <clears throat> that, Lord, as you birth something in this city towards the school of the prophets, that, Lord God, we do not despise 
the day of small beginnings. That, Lord God, we don't look at numbers, but we look around and say, Father, our hearts are yielded. We want to go to where you're going. We want to do what you're saying. Our hearts want to respond to you, Lord God. Father, we refuse to become cynical. We refuse, Lord God, to become familiar. Lord God, Father, just surprises again. Break on the scene again. Lord God, just take us to that new place, Lord God. Cause our eyes to see in a way that they've never seen before. Greater clarity, greater understanding, and the skill to do. Lord God, establish it in our hearts. Move us, Lord God. Transform us, change us. To be the church that you desire us to be. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Amen.